Jesus, the only gift that we have to offer is the gift of all of who we are. After you given all of who you are, all that we can give is all of who we are, and the good news tonight is that you want us. And so as you pull us close tonight, Lord, help us to uh, hear you. We pray that you would break through darkness and doubt and grief and hurt to bring life to those places, Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. On, on Good Friday, I find myself attentive to the weather in a way that I'm not usually attentive to the weather, and it's usually because something about the weather on Good Friday is weird. And almost every Good Friday I can remember, the weather on Good Friday is weird. Uh, whether that was a late March 85 degree scorcher when I was a student in Chicago, or today a beautiful day outside with crazy winds, and, and that's the sound you're gonna hear is the wind hitting the building. Um, scripture says all creation is groaning. All creation is groaning. So when I hear weird wind or experience weird weather on Good Friday, I just assume that it's creation groaning. Where we're going next is into something called a service of tenebrae. And the word tenebrae, it's a Latin word that means shadow or darkness, shadow or darkness. A tenebrae service is a careful reading and reflection on the passion of Jesus. Those events, including and leading up to his betrayal, his trial, his crucifixion, his death. So throughout the next few moments, we'll have readers come up and they're going to read us the story of Jesus' suffering out of the Gospel of John using a, a translation that pays special attention to the Jewishness of Jesus. On Good Friday, we are invited into the shadow and into the darkness of these events. We're very quick to run to Sunday. We are not a culture that sits in grief and pain well. And so tonight we ponder the shadow and the darkness that dwells within each one of us. So come close and listen to the story of Jesus' love for you. Jesus went forth with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, procuring a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was 
to befall him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word which he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me? The first candle is extinguished. So, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Judean authorities seized Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had given counsel to the religious authorities that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. The second candle is extinguished. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. As this disciple was known to the high priest, he entered the court of the high priest along with Jesus, while Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the women who had gathered at the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman guarded the gate and said to Peter, are you not also one of this man's disciples? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The third candle is extinguished. <clears throat> The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and the teaching Jesus and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught to the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jewish people come together. I have said nothing secretly. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. 
they know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus on, with his hand, saying, Is this how you speak to the high priest? Jesus answered him, I have spoken, if I have spoken wrongly, bear witness to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Ananias then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. The fourth candle is extinguished. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, Are not you also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants, servants of the high priest, a kinsman of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. The fifth candle is extinguished. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so that they might not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have handed him over. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The religious authorities said to him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. This was to fulfill the word which Jesus had spoken to show by what death he was to die. The sixth candle is extinguished. Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingship is not of this world. If my kingship were of this world, my servants would fight, that I might not be handed over to the religious authorities, but my kingship is not from this world. Pilate said to him, So are you a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is the truth? The seventh candle is extinguished. After Pilate had said this, he went to the religious authorities again and told them, I find no crime in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. Will you have me release for you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. The eighth candle is extinguished.
Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him to you that you may know that I find no crime in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no crime in him. The religious authorities answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard these words, he was the more afraid. He entered the headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you? and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. The ninth candle is extinguished. Upon this, Pilate sought to release him, but the religious authorities cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king sets himself against Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, and in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover, it was about the sixth hour, he said to religious authorities, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. They handed him over to them to be crucified. And the tenth candle is extinguished. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in, is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote a title and put it on his cross. It read Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, 
Many of the Judeans read this title for the, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. The Jewish chief priest then said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. The eleventh candle is extinguished. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garment and made four parts, one for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was without seam, woven from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They parted my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. The twelfth candle is extinguished. So the soldiers did this. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. The thirteenth candle is extinguished. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A bowl full of vinegar stood there, so they put a sponge full of the vinegar on hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The 14th candle is extinguished. Since it was the day of preparation, in order to prevent the bodies from remaining on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the religious authorities asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth that you also may believe. 
For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. The Christ candle is extinguished. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the religious authorities, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. So he came and he took away his body. Nicodemus also, who at first came to him by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. They took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb where no one had ever been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, as the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. They knew this was a meal they wouldn't forget. They knew it was a Passover to remember. In the years to follow, so many details would remain etched in their memories. The candles reflecting off of polished plates the laughter echoing in high ceilings of the upper room, the bitter horseradish, the sweet haroset, the utter silence following Judas's flight from the room. But lodged in Peter's mind, firmly planted in his imagination were the lines in Jesus' face, the look in his eyes as he turned and said to Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. For more than three years, 
Peter had spent nearly every waking moment with Jesus. He'd walked on water and fed thousands with just a few loaves of bread. He saw Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons, and and learned from Jesus how to do the same. Peter had a front row to Jesus' power, authority, and his love, but still his faith was at best faltering. They left the upper room and went to a garden called Gethsemane. Jesus wanted to pray, and he didn't want to pray alone. Peter was one of three disciples asked to be close to Jesus, to watch and pray with him in the inner part of the garden. Jesus could, with a word, calm a storm. He could give sight to the blind. He could raise the dead from miles away. But that night, with his suffering looming on the horizon like a storm on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus didn't want to be alone. Jesus needed Peter. Jesus needed friendship. So there in the cool of the night, Peter and James and John joined Jesus in prayer. Or at least they tried. As Peter went to prayer, he realized how full his stomach was, how tired he was from the day's journey. And one moment he was praying, and the next, the next, Jesus was shaking Peter awake, saying, up, let's be going. My betrayer is here. Rubbing sleep from his eyes, Peter couldn't tell if it was sweat or blood staining Jesus' tunic, smeared across his forehead. It all happened so fast. It was Judas, and with him, guards from the temple and Roman officers. The coward, Peter thought. They reached for Jesus, and Peter reacted before he could think, drawing his sword, cutting off one of the soldier's ears. Jesus sighed and bending down, took the ear and and healed it to the man's head, saying to Peter, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. They bound Jesus, led him away. And in my mind's eye, I can see Peter And James and John, all of them standing there, James and John are are frozen by grief and anger. Thomas is slack-jawed with disbelief. Matthew is wringing his hands in anxiety. And Peter, Peter, quick to act, he jumps to it. He, He smears his face with dirt and pulls his cloak tighter around him, making for himself a haphazard disguise. 
He follows the soldiers as they lead Jesus to his mock trial, making it hard to... And as he slips into the courtyard of the priest's house, he sits with the servants and hired men around a, a charcoal fire. If he got the right angle, he could see Jesus standing quiet like a lamb to the slaughter. Someone was saying something. Peter wasn't paying attention. Someone elbowed him and he heard someone say, this man was one of Jesus' followers. Peter was barely able to hear what was going on inside of the house. He was straining to catch every word, so he's annoyed at this servant girl who is yapping, making it hard to hear what's happening. And so before he could stop himself, he spat out, woman, I I don't even know him. A few moments went by and someone else around the charcoal fire said, you must be one of them. He couldn't believe their ignorance, their their foolishness. If one of the guards caught him around this fire, Peter could be tried as a co-conspirator. So he silenced the man saying, no man, I am not. Mercifully, this kept them quiet for an hour or so. And then in a moment, the talking inside the house was getting louder. Something was happening. A decision was being made. And someone said, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. What were these people thinking? Couldn't they tell that he was listening? Didn't they know why he was here? Couldn't they tell he was trying to get his friend out of harm's way? Peter is watching history happening, and these fools are blah, 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 and in anger he burst out, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And before the words left his mouth, the rooster crowed. Listen to Luke's account of this moment. From Luke chapter 22. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61 says, at that moment, the Lord turned And looked at Peter. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. Deny it three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. At the exact moment of Peter's denial, Jesus looks out the window. The text says, Jesus looked at Peter. Let's sit with that that word for a moment. Because the word that Luke uses here in the original language, it's not just to casually casually glance. It, It means to observe fixedly. To observe fixedly. To discern 
clearly. I'd like for you to imagine that you are Peter. You've just, for the third time, denied Jesus. I want you to imagine yourself, close your eyes if you need to, I want you to imagine yourself sitting around that fire and seeing Jesus' face through the window. And your sanctified imagination What is the expression on Jesus' face? What is the expression on Jesus' face as he looks at his friend Peter, as he looks at you, standing there in Peter's place, denying, even knowing him, not once, not twice, but three times? As Jesus looks out that window, is he ashamed? Is he angry? Is Jesus unsurprised? Does he reject Peter outright? Is he amused? Condescending? Proud to be right? In the lines of his face, in his eyes, is Jesus saying, I told you so. The theologian A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If that's true, then what you saw on Jesus' face as he looked out that window in the moment of that denial, what you see on Jesus' face in that moment might be the most important thing about you. If Jesus is mad or unsurprised, condescending with a sarcastic smile, I wonder if you might be prone to striving, endlessly trying to prove God wrong, to give you a reason to love you. I wonder if you might be prone to perfectionism, doing everything you can to make Jesus smile, maybe even just once. You might be prone to working hard for Jesus, trying to overcome a sense of shame, of not being good enough, terrified of God's anger. You might not dare to let a thought of God pass your mind. You may have rejected God altogether on the basis of what Jesus' face is as he looks at Peter through that window. Whatever you see, however you interact with him, what you see in your mind's eye as Jesus looks out that window in the moment of Peter's betrayal, it's the most important thing about you. Luke doesn't tell us what was on Peter's face. There is a clue, however, to what Peter saw in Mark chapter 10. In verse 21 of that chapter, Mark uses this same word for looked upon. In Mark 10, Jesus encounters a young man who desires to follow after Jesus. Jesus tells the young man what following after him will cost him. 
And the young man decides that the price is too high to pay. He decides that the cost of surrender to Jesus is a cost that is too high to pay. And as he walks away from Jesus, as he denies Jesus, Mark says, Jesus, beholding that young man, loved him. When Peter looked in the face of Jesus that night, Peter saw in the words of an old hymn, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Peter certainly saw sorrow, I'm sure, grief over Peter's decision, over Peter's choice, but Peter also saw love. He saw that Jesus was glad to be with him, even if Peter, in that moment, wasn't all that glad to be with Jesus. It's interesting that as the story goes on, Peter isn't found at Jesus' crucifixion. He's nowhere to be found. So that might lead us to think that Peter is a coward, that Peter has no faith. But I wonder, I wonder if Peter saw in the face of Jesus that night everything he needed to see. I wonder if he saw everything that John and Jesus' mother saw as Jesus died. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. It's no secret that we, like Peter, deny Jesus. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We sin, we fail, we deny Jesus. We deny Jesus in small, everyday ways, speaking harshly to our children or our spouse, telling a sarcastic joke at a coworker's expense, living apathetic, numbed-out lives when a great adventure is waiting for us. Of course, we do this in catastrophic ways, too, hiding a pornography addiction, abandoning a spouse who is unable to conceive children, killing someone while we're texting and driving. The ways that we deny Jesus don't just harm others, they do us harm too, and it violates the way that God has made the world. That's why sin provokes such a startling response in God. Sin is an emergency. One of such proportions that God chooses to come and rescue us himself. He lives a perfect life in Jesus, dies a sinless death to extend to us forgiveness and freedom and friendship with him forever. He unites us to himself, offering us a new identity, a new story in which we live and move and have our being But, but these denials, you could say, are just the cost of doing business. 
the denials aren't nearly as surprising to us as the response that we find in Jesus. That seeing our sin and our failure, he looks on us not with contempt, not with anger, not with shame, never saying, I told you so. But he looks on us with love. For as long as I have been a preacher, for as long as I have been tasked to proclaim the good news on this day, this Friday, when Jesus dies a brutal death, I have felt the weight of one singular question. What could possibly be good about this Good Friday? Hear the good news. Good Friday is good. Because it is Jesus' eternal promise that when we sin, that when we deny Him, He looks on us with love and joy. Even in our sin, He is glad to be with us. And in our denials, the face of Jesus shines on us. Let's pray. God, in the midst of the ways that we, we deny you, those of us who claim your name, we lay hold of the promise here in these passages by faith that you look on us with love in our failure. For those of us that aren't sure what we think about you, we lay hold of the promise for them. I lay hold of the promise for them that you look on them with love and you even tonight are drawing them to yourself with your kindness. How could it be that there's a way? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Take a breath.
This is communion. 